The Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Obviously, the Apostle Paul is making a spiritual application of a historical event in Israel. In Leviticus chapter 23, if we were to study that portion, we would find that the Lord mentioned seven great feasts. One of those feasts was the feast of Passover. Exodus chapter 12 gives to us the origin of that. The Passover, that which was called the Lord's Passover, was designed to commemorate the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. The original Passover involved the blood of a slain lamb. That was the central element in it. God made a decree that the firstborn in Egypt would be destroyed that night by a death angel. But if the children of Israel would take a lamb, kill that lamb, shed its blood, and put its blood on the doorpost and lintel of every Israelite's house, he would pass over that house, and all who were within it, including the firstborn of Israel, would be safe from death. From that time, every year, on the 14th day of the first month, the Passover feast was held. The Israelites commemorated the Passover. It was to remind them annually of their deliverance from bondage and death by means of the blood of the Lamb shed and applied to the doorpost and lintel of their homes. Now on the 15th of the month, through to the 21st of the month, the Jewish people observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that is very much in connection with the Passover. If you turn with me to Mark's Gospel, and we've just been studying the Gospel of Mark together on the Lord's Day mornings, you'll remember that when the Lord met with the disciples there in that upper room that was furnished, in Mark chapter 14, and verse number 12, it records, And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? You see how it's mentioned in connection with the feast of unleavened bread. They belong together. The Feast of Unleavened Bread actually began on the evening of Passover and lasted, as we've indicated, 
for seven days. Passover week. Passover itself was a picture of salvation or redemption. Whereas unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread, strictly speaking, portrays the Christian life. The life that is lived by one who has already been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The message here is, after being redeemed by the Lamb's blood, the Israelites were to feed upon the Lamb for strength to live. And during that period, all leaven, we would call it yeast today, had to be removed from their dwelling places, from their houses. And as believers saved by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to remove all sin from our lives. And that is what Paul means when he says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are to keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Speaking about the Christian life, our sanctification. Now this particular feast is very significant. There's actually a message for us today in this feast, not only the Passover, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread that is accompany it, that does accompany it. Let's think first of all about those who were at the feast. We can ask the question, who were at the feast? Who were those that were allowed to eat of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Was it everyone? Well, let's consult Exodus chapter 12. And as we read, we noted the words from verse 43. We didn't get that far in our reading, but we, we could have gone that far in the passage, so we will do it now. Exodus chapter 12, from verse 43. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover, there shall no stranger eat thereof. So there's the first Caveat, there's the first condition. There shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof. There's another restriction. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. So there's another restriction. One law shall be to him that is home-born, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you, Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Who were at the feast? Well, only certain people could keep the feast. 
and others were not permitted to partake of it. No stranger or foreigner could eat the feast. Therefore, none of the Egyptians could partake of it. They could have been rich, they could have been highly educated, they could have been very kind and generous people, but they were not of the number of God's own people, so they could not partake of this feast. If they were not born into the nation of Israel, they had no place at the feast. Those who were born Jews had the right to eat, but not others. And there's an application of this. Under the New Testament, only those in God's family can feast upon Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and live the Christian life. You can't live a Christian life until you become a Christian. And this is where so many people put the cart before the horse. There are people who think they're good Christians, but they've never been saved, they've never been redeemed, they've never come to Christ in repentance and faith. They've never been washed and covered by the blood of Jesus. So they're barred from the feast. Notice that Paul writes to the Corinthians, Therefore let us, the collective pronoun, us, keep the feast. Who? Well, obviously God's people. The saints of God. You have to be in the family to partake of Christ who is the living bread. Isn't it interesting that those that are not saved are described in Scripture as strangers and foreigners? In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, when the apostle is referring to these people before they were converted, he said, Ephesians 2:19, Now, therefore, Ye are no more strangers and foreigners. But that's what they were. They were strangers. They were foreigners. The word that is used here in this scripture, in verse 12 of Ephesians 2, is, At that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise. That means they were foreigners, And they were strangers. But he says, now, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And why is that? Well, if you go back to verse 13, you see the answer. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, you were strangers, you were foreigners, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You've been redeemed, just like the Israelites of old, by the blood. But if you've never had the blood applied to your heart by faith, you are still a stranger and a foreigner and barred from the feast. McShane wrote, I once was a stranger. To grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah said Kenu was nothing to me. Strangers. You know that all those who by nature are strangers who end up dying in their sins, 
will hear God say at the last, Depart from me, I never knew you. Strangers. But notice something else here. Not only were strangers and foreigners barred from the feast, but even a purchased servant was able to be a member at the feast. This is a wonderful thought. Exodus 12 and verse 44 records, But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. The purchased servant could be present at the feast. In the gospel scheme, you can feed each day upon the Lord Jesus Christ only if you have been bought with a price. Purchased, not with money, of course, but bought, purchased with the blood of Christ. The scripture tells us that he gave his life, and the life is in the blood. He gave his life a ransom for many. A ransom is a price that is paid to deliver. So here's a great thought for those who have been bought by the Lord, have been purchased by his blood to be his servants. They're welcome at the feast. But if you've never been bought, if you've never become part of the family of God by being purchased, then you're excluded from fellowship with the Lamb of God. You notice as well here in verse 47 and 48 of Exodus 12 that those who were at the Feast of Unleavened Bread who were welcome there were all that belonged to Israel by circumcision. That was a covenant sign. Not one uncircumcised stranger could partake of the feast. Now the Bible speaks of the church in the book of Galatians as the Israel of God. In the Old Testament, you had the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, you have the Israel of God, the church. But, there's still national Israel. And in national Israel, there are those who are part of spiritual Israel as well. Let me explain what I mean. Paul said on one occasion in Romans... They are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now, if you read that, what are you going to think? They're not all Israel who are of Israel. What does that mean? Well, basically it means they are not all spiritual Israel who are of national Israel. That's what it means. Not everybody who was a child of Abraham, according to the flesh, was in the church or is in the church. Those who are of Israel, Jewish people, who get converted, who come to Christ, they don't cease to be Jewish. They will leave Judaism, but they don't cease to be Jewish. That's their ethnicity. But they become a spiritual Jew as well. They become a child of God. They become a member of the church. And Ephesians chapter 2 makes this clear, that there's a breaking down of the barrier between Jew and Gentile, because all believers, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, are in the church, the Israel of God. Now the circumcision that God is looking for today is not in the flesh, but of the Spirit. Paul said to the Romans, he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but one who is a Jew inwardly. 
Did you ever notice where he said this? A person who is a Jew outwardly will have this sign of circumcision in his flesh. But notice what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 2. In verse 28, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. He's speaking here when he talks about being a Jew He's speaking of being a spiritual Jew, a Christian, a child of God. We get into the church of Jesus Christ by circumcision of our hearts, not of our flesh. The Lord does a work in the heart. And a work of God has to be done in the heart. Otherwise you can't become a Christian and you can't live the Christian life. You cannot feed upon Christ, the Lamb of God, until you've had that work of grace wrought within your heart. So we ask the question, who were at the feast? Those who were not strangers or foreigners anymore. Those who were purchased servants. Those who belonged to Israel By circumcision, they could partake of the feast. There's a spiritual message in all of these. But then we can look at the second thought here. Not only who were at the feast, but the way in which they ate the feast. Notice the way in which they ate the feast. There was a particular stipulation that God made in Exodus chapter 12. In verse 11, here he is speaking of the eating of the lamb. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now, who is a person with their loins girded, with their shoes on their feet, and with their staff in their hand? Somebody who's ready to travel. Somebody who's ready to leave. Somebody who's ready to go. When in the east they would come into the house, they would take their sandals or shoes off and have their feet washed. They would not have their loins girded. They would not have their garments all pulled up. But someone who has girded their loins, they've pulled up their garments and tied them with a belt. They've put on their shoes and they have a staff in their hand, which they're going to use to navigate the rough terrain and places where there's stones and rocks and so on, that staff becomes very handy. Those are people who are ready to leave. And then he says this, verse 11, And ye shall eat it in haste, or quickly. Now normally it's not a good thing to eat your food quickly. I was always told that as a child not to do that. You eat too quickly, you get the hiccups. Eat too quickly, you might make yourself sick. But here, they were to eat this meal quickly. Why? Because they were to be ready to leave. It is the Lord's 
Passover. Here's something that demanded haste. Really what the Lord is saying here is the way in which the feast was to be eaten was in a state of preparedness. Each person who ate the feast was to be ready to go at any moment. It was, if you like, a pilgrim's meal. A pilgrim's meal. You see, the land of Egypt was not home for the Israelites. That wasn't their home. They were bound for the land of milk and honey. They were bound, as the old song puts it, for the promised land. So as God's people, (coughs) they were to be ready to be called out at any moment. And there's a message for us. Those of us that are saved are to be pilgrims in the earth. We're not here to stay. This is not our long home. I've told you before, when I was a little boy of about four, myself and another little boy, little Jordy Ramsey, used to attend with our fathers an open-air gospel service on a Sunday night after church in the city of Belfast, right outside the front of the city hall. And whether they were using the kids uh, as a means of drawing a crowd or not, I couldn't really tell you if that was the case or not. It was something that was cute, whatever. But I remember little George and myself had learned a song that his father used to have on a record player in his home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So little George Ramsey and I were held by our fathers like this up to a microphone. And a man was playing an accordion. He was our minister. And we would sing this song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Two four-year-olds. But that's a great message in that song. Because like Abraham, we are sojourners. We are living as in a tent. We get far too settled down in this world, don't we? We act like we're never going to leave this world. And the thought of leaving this world many times is painful to us. We don't want to think about leaving this world. But in Hebrews chapter 11 we read from verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned In the land of promise. That means he didn't stay there. He traveled through as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. The word is the word for tents. With Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. A tent hasn't got foundations. A tent is not built. A tent is pitched. It's folded up. The tent pegs are pulled and you move on. But he was looking for something that was permanent. 
And so we read on in verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed, notice it, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 16, Now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Now we don't need to be morbid and we don't want to be all the time thinking about death and going about dressed as if we were going to a funeral or getting ready for our own. But as a Christian, you should be ready to go at any time. You should be in a state of preparedness to meet the Lord, whether in death or in His second coming. And this is something that's hard for us to get through our own heads. One day we're going to leave all this behind. An elder in my first church used to say, people say when you die, you leave it all behind you. He says, no you don't. You're taken away from it. You don't make a conscious decision to leave it behind. He says, you're taken away from it. That's what happens. We've got to be ready for that. So we can't be earthbound believers. Yes, there are things you have to do. You have to make an honest day's living. You have to look after your home. You have to keep things clean. You have to look after your person. You know, there are things that you have responsibilities for living here in this life. But all the time understanding the Lord could take us away just in a moment. And it will all be left. So the people of Israel were involved in a fast meal. They ate fast. They ate quickly. Notice the word that's used there in Exodus 12. In haste. In haste. Our Christian lives should be characterized by alertness and readiness to leave. And therefore not waiting around to serve the Lord at some future date. But right now, being up and at it today, the king's business requireth haste. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, Jesus said, for the night cometh when no man can work. And I never read that verse, but I think of Robert Murray McShane, who at the age of 29 and a half, took typhus fever and within three days was in eternity taken away from his ministry that was only some seven and a half years old McShane used to have his own personal stationery that he sent out to people on the back of the envelopes that he used for his letters There was an illustration of the sun going down behind a mountain with the words above it, the night cometh. The night cometh. And the night came for Robert Murray McShane much, much quicker than perhaps he or anyone else expected. Work for the night is coming when man's work is done. Therefore, folks, we have to work and witness as though today 
was our very last day on earth. One of the great preachers, I forget which one it was, so I don't want to misquote, but he used to get up in the morning, he used to pull back the drapes, and he used to say, Perhaps today, Lord. Perhaps today. The Israelites were people who ate a fast meal. And it was also, you can see here, a family meal. It was a family meal. The whole household gathered together to eat. Think of this. The entire family eating, feasting upon the lamb in fellowship. I have a Jewish friend who was telling me that Passover is coming up soon. He's going to cook the meal for 28 people. Have family and close friends over. I said, I know what you're having. That's right, lamb. They're going to feast on the lamb. Well, I took the opportunity to tell him what I think of that. Who I think the lamb represents. What I think the blood represents. The message that there is in the Passover for all of us, Jew and Gentile, today. The entire family eating, feasting upon the lamb in fellowship. There they were. You can imagine each Israelite home. They're all gathered around the table. And in the same way, God has instituted the church, the church of Jesus Christ, for communion, for fellowship, to do what? To feast and to feed upon Christ. God has not called you as a Christian to live in isolation from your brethren and sisters. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. We are to remember that the feasting that we do upon Christ is not just personal, though it is that. It's also a family gathering. It's also a family feast. And so we ought to gather with God's people in the church fellowship. I understand that it's difficult in our day sometimes for some people to find a good church. And that's one of the common complaints that I hear all the time. But one of the other things I have to say is there are people, sadly, and they've got a checklist of about a hundred things. And they'll find what is a really good church that has about 95 or 96 of those check marks. But because of three or four minor little things, they would never have anything to do with that church. They're looking for something that's absolutely perfect and they'll never find it. But I think we could also apply this, could we not, to family worship in our homes where we should feed upon Christ together. And when we have children, to gather those children around and to read the Word and to pray with them. And we used to do that with our girls before they'd go to school in the morning and at night before they'd go to bed. And we found a very good devotional book called Leading Little Ones to God by Marian School, And we would use that along with our Bibles and pray and have them to pray. 
I remember some of those cute little prayers that they would pray. It's good for the family to worship together, to feast upon Christ. And that brings me to the third point. We not only have those who were at the feast and the way in which they ate the feast, but what was eaten at the feast. I've already mentioned this about the lamb. What did the people of Israel eat during the feast of Passover and unleavened bread? Well, there were several things that constituted that meal. And the lamb was one of them. I hear from some people that lamb is an acquired taste. Some people have never even tried lamb. I love it. My wife and I love it. We've always liked lamb. Just one of those things. And of course there are millions of sheep in the United Kingdom, so it's good to get rid of a few of them. So a lamb chop or a leg of lamb helps with that. But you will notice here that literally the flesh of the animal was eaten. Exodus 12 and verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire. I wonder what people do that don't think that it's right to eat meat. You'd have a real problem, wouldn't you, if you were in the, the, the land of Egypt with the children of Israel? Oh, I'm a vegan. There are no vegans among the Lord's people. None. They ate the flesh that night, roast with fire, roast lamb it was, and unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. That's what God said. He stipulated that the flesh of the animal was to be eaten. They feasted on the lamb. Now notice carefully, they were not saved, they were not delivered by eating, but by the application of the blood that had been shed. This is very important. The Lord didn't say, when I see you eating the lamb, I will pass over you. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. They were saved by the blood. But you see, eating the lamb was for strength to live. It was not, in that sense, for salvation, though we could say, taste and see that the Lord is good. But God's people need to feed upon Christ in the Word of God and in prayer as they go on with God. That's why I said the Feast of Unleavened Bread is typical of the Christian life. Whereas Passover specifically is to do with salvation. The Feast of Unleavened Bread flowing from the Passover speaks of believers going on with God and feeding upon Christ. Now how much are we feeding upon Christ? No one is saved by reading the Bible in that sense. There are people who have been saved because they read the Bible and they realized that the gospel was true and they came to Christ. But they're not saved just by the act of reading the Bible. And they're not saved just by the action of prayer or having devotions. But these things are means of strengthening those who have been saved. And that's the application here. We are to feast upon Christ in the Word of God and in prayer. These are the means of strengthening the believer to live 
for God? How much are we feasting daily upon Christ? How often do we not feed ourselves upon the wrong foods? When our minds and hearts are filled with the things of the world. Nutrition is a big thing today and there are people who haven't got any physical strength because they eat all the wrong things. We will have no strength to resist temptation and live for the Lord unless we're feasting on the right things. We must feed on the lamb. But not only does it mention the lamb as far as what they ate, but they fed on the lamb accompanied with bitter herbs. Now why would that be stipulated in verse 8? And with bitter herbs they shall eat it. There would be a bitter taste in their mouths as they were feasting at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what was that for? Well, I believe, I, I would suggest to you, that it was to remind them of the bitterness of the bondage from which they had been delivered. Those days of bitter hardship were not to be forgotten. And as you and I think about our lives, we ought not to be moping or fretting over our past sins. We've been forgiven of those sins, and yet we should remember that which God has delivered us from. It's a good thing to remind ourselves of where we were. That's what Paul did to the Ephesians, by the way. You'll notice the past tense in Ephesians chapter 2. Ye were, at that time, ye were, constantly reminding them of the way it used to be. It's good to reflect upon what God's grace has saved us from. Looking to the hole of the pit from which we have been digged, and the rock from which we have been hewn. The Lord told His people when He gave them the law, that they should remember, they should remember the bondage that they used to be in. The Lord gave the law for a second time, there in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The way that he introduced the law was this, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And when he was talking about the Sabbath to them in Deuteronomy 5, he said in verse 15, And remember that thou wast a servant, it means a bond servant or a slave, in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Don't forget, he said. Remember the bondage from which I brought you. I think this is what is signified by the bitter herbs, as well as the thought of repentance. We should always come before the Lord with a repentant spirit concerning our imperfections and our sins. Eating the bitter herbs of repentance. But as well as this, and this is what gives it its name, the feast involved unleavened bread. Exodus 12, verse number 8. The Lord stipulated, And they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread. This is something that is repeated later on in the chapter. 
We see this in verse number 7, or sorry, verse number 15, where he mentions seven days. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day till the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Unleavened bread. And it's mentioned further on in verse 19 and verse 20. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. Verse 20. Ye shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. Notice how Paul applies this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore let us keep the feast. He's speaking about the gospel feast. He's speaking about living the Christian life. And he says, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Put away the leaven. Leaven is yeast. In the scripture, it is often a symbol or a type of sin. And God stipulated it here that yeast was not to be found in the homes of the people during that feast. Every bit of it was to be cleansed away. Are Christians not called to put away sin from their lives? When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, God hath called us not to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now, just as I said about Bible reading and prayer, you're not saved by doing those things, so a person isn't saved by putting sin out of his life. That doesn't give you a leg up for salvation. Again, let me emphasize, the Israelites were delivered by the blood of the Lamb, not by the cleansing away of the leaven. So what is God saying here? The leaven was removed because they were saved. That's it. The leaven was removed because they were the Lord's redeemed people. Let me suggest to you that as a Christian, you have a greater sensitivity to sin now than before you were saved. When you first got saved, when you first came to Christ, your sensitivity to sin now is greater than it was then. You know why? Because you've learned. You have been taught. We learned when we uh, did that study on the feasts in Leviticus, that some of the feasts were offered for sins of ignorance. There were things that people didn't realize that they were doing that were wrong. And I would certainly suggest to you that when you first got saved, there were probably things that you didn't really have that much conscience about. You didn't have a sensitivity about those things the way you do now. Why is that? Because you've grown in grace. Because you've learned. You've read your Bible and you thought, oh, oh, that, that wasn't right. I shouldn't have been doing that. Or this is something I should have been doing. This is something that I should have put away from my life. So, as we go on in our Christian lives, we find that we're putting away the leaven more and more. We're not saved by putting sin out of our lives. We're seeking to put sin out of our lives because we are saved. We've got a sensitivity to these things now that we're the Lord's. But all the time we know that we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. 
And now that we are saved and delivered by the blood of the Lamb, we've got a desire to please the Lord. We want to be clean. To please Him. So let us be making sure that evil things are not part of our daily diet. May we endeavor to keep the feast. Not a literal feast of unleavened bread. There are some, to my mind, foolish Christians who think that it's a good thing to keep the Old Testament feasts today. Some of them call themselves Messianic Christians. They meet for church on a Saturday instead of the Lord's Day. Which of course is not what Christians are meant to do because Christ has risen. They're acting as if Christ has not risen yet. And by going through the feast of the Passover and all of these other reenactments, it's as if Christ has not come. Because those things belong to the ceremonial law. They're fulfilled in Christ. They've been fulfilled. So when Paul says, let us keep the feast, he doesn't mean literally keeping the Old Testament feast. But the spiritual feast of Christian living. That's why he says, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. These are spiritual qualities. The spiritual feast of Christian living is in view. Feeding daily on Christ the Lamb of God. Feasting on Him. We feast on Thee, the living bread, the hymn writer said. As pilgrims bound for glory, tent dwellers, we are to feed our souls on Him. We are to endeavour by His grace to put sin out of our lives. We need strength to live for God. Where do we get it from? It comes from a daily feasting upon the Lamb. A daily feeding upon Christ. You'll find Him in the Word. And as you read the Bible and as you pray, and as you come to the house of God and are fed upon the Word of God, you'll grow in grace. And in the knowledge of your Saviour, in that way, you're enabled to keep the feast. May the Lord help us. May the Lord bless us. May we take to heart the words of Paul. Even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast.